Welcome, Soul Family, to another episode of Awaken with Carla, the podcast that empowers you to awaken your mind, nurture your body, heal your heart, and nourish your soul. I am your host, Carla, and I am so thrilled to have you here with me today. In each episode, as you know, we explore different topics of health, wellness, spirituality, mindset, manifestation, all designed to guide you towards unlocking your infinite potential. Together, we'll embark on a transformative journey of self-discovery where we'll gain practical tools, inspiring insights, learn from personal stories that will inspire you to create positive changes that you need in your life. So without further ado, let's start today's episode by introducing my guest speaker, Terry Tucker. Terry Tucker is a motivational speaker, author, and international podcast guest on topics of motivation, mindset, and self-development. He has a business administration degree from Citadel, where he played NCAA division of college basketball and has a master's degree from Boston University. In his professional career, Terry has been a marketing executive a hospital administrator, a SWAT team hostage negotiator, a high school basketball coach, a business owner, and a motivational speaker, and for the past 10 years, a cancer warrior. He is the author of the book, Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life, and the developer of the Sustainable Excellence Membership. Terry has also been featured on Authority, Thrive Globe, and Human Capital Leadership magazines. So I really had the privilege of um, speaking with Terry. He has an incredible story, um, such an inspirational individual, and I really do hope that you find um, something of value uh, in this conversation. And so in this episode, we're going to be exploring how to rise above the ashes and how to overcome personal tragedy. Uh, Terry shares with us his unique story, um, some practical tips, as well as some powerful tools that can really help us along in our own journey. Again, whether you're seeking guidance on physical health, emotional well-being, spiritual awakening, or just simply aligning your mindset for success, you're in the right place. Our intention is to provide you uh, with the tools and the inspiration that you need for you to create a life that is filled with much more abundance, purpose, and fulfillment. Thank you for joining me on this incredible journey. And remember that the power to transform lies within you. Quick reminder before jumping in, uh, and make sure that you hit that like button, uh, subscribe to the channel, and uh, make sure to share this with your family and friends to help spread the word and this message, uh, inspiring story that Terry has for us. So get ready to ignite your curiosity, expand your consciousness, and awaken the extraordinary that lies within you. Now let's dive into today's episode of Awaken with Carla. Welcome, everyone. Um, today we have uh, Terry Tucker, um, who's joining me for a wonderful conversation, um, sharing his personal stories and his life experiences uh, with us. 
Um, so I'm going to turn it over to you, Terry, and just to say hello and say welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Um, so over to you. Great, Carla. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm really looking forward to you and uh, looking forward to this discussion. And like I said, you know, before we jumped on, looking forward to making a difference in people's lives. Yes, as am I. And you know, we were chatting a little bit before we started recording and. Um, you know, Terry has an incredible story that I think um, is very powerful. And there's a lot there that uh, that you can share with us and can inspire, you know, so many people. So I think it's, it's important to, you know, get these kinds of stories out into the world so that, uh, you know, we can create a little bit of an impact in people's lives. Um, but so Terry, if you don't mind just starting off telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what is it that you do? Sure. So I, I'm born and raised on the south side of Chicago. I'm the oldest of three boys. You can't tell this from my voice or from looking at me, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And I actually went to college at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina on a basketball scholarship. When I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. I'm, I'm really going to date myself now, but this was long before the internet was available to help people find employment. Fortunately, I found that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain, in their marketing department. Unfortunately, I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh, professionally, as I said, started out at Wendy's, then switched to hospital administration and then made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And part of what I did when I was in law enforcement was I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. After my law enforcement career, I started a school security consulting business, coached girls high school basketball, became an author in 2020. But for almost 11 years now, I've been battling a rare form of cancer, a rare form of melanoma. And then finally, my wife and I have been married for almost 30 years. We have one child, a daughter. She graduated the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Yes. Um, I'm sure you're very proud of, of you know, her accomplishments and what she's doing with her, with her life and so tell me a little bit about how you've been able to sort of navigate, um, particularly over the last, you said it, it's been the last 10 years that you've been dealing with? It's almost 11 years now. It'll be 11, 11 years, years next month. So yeah, I, wow. I I know every year goes by, you know, another year around the sun and it's like, well, it's good. I'm still on this side of the dirt. So, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty happy about that. Uh, yeah, I'll give you a little bit. So, so I have this very rare form of of melanoma and most people think of melanoma as a you know, too much exposure to the sun, it affects the right. melon, the pigment in our skin. Mine has nothing to do with that. It, it, it's a rare form that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. Uh, and so in 2012, girls high school basketball coach, I have a callus break open on the bottom of my foot, right below my third toe. And initially don't think much of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But mm -hmm. after a few weeks of it not healing, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine, and he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did, you know, and he showed it to me, just a little gelatin sack, some white fat in it, no dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. Concerns. But fortunately or unfortunately, he sent it off to have it examined. And two weeks later, I get the call from him. And as I said, he's a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he is having explaining to me what was going on, 
the more frightened I'm becoming until finally he just lays it out for me. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. And then he proceeds to tell me that I have this rare form of melanoma. And because my cancer is so rare, he recommends I go to, to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston and be treated. And so I do. And unfortunately, at the time, melanoma is pretty much a death sentence. They have no therapies, nothing that they can do to really help me. So after they cut the tumor out and they remove all the lymph nodes in my groin, they put me on a drug called interferon to help keep the disease from coming back. Um, The side effects of the interferon were that it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And as my oncologist said, you know, it's not a cure. We're just trying to kick the can down the road and buy Mm -hmm. you more time. Five years of interferon became so toxic to my body that I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees, which is usually not compatible with being alive. Fortunately, Mm -hmm. uh, I survived that, but had to stop the interferon. Cancer came back almost immediately after discontinuing the drug. Had my left foot amputated in 2018. Cancer worked its way up my leg in 2019, two more surgeries, and then finally an undiagnosed tumor kind of in my ankle area grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone, and my only recourse right in the middle of the pandemic was to have my left leg amputated above the knee, and I found out I had tumors in my lungs, which I'm still being treated for. And I know this sounds dark and ugly, and it certainly has been, but I'll tell you this. There are two things that I've learned during cancer. Number one, I don't think you really know yourself until you've been tested by some form of adversity in your life. And secondly, I think cancer has made me a better human being. I'd love to elaborate a little bit more on that. So um, please, if you can sort of explain how how that has made you a, a better human being, what how has dealing with this major challenging experience in your life, how has that you know, actually made you better as opposed to sort of hardening you because a lot of times when people do go through adversity and they go through these challenges, um, instead of actually learning and growing from it, which I think is essentially what the challenges are there to present us with is an opportunity for growth. But a lot of the times it's so challenging for us and we're not always necessarily equipped with the tools to be able to overcome it. And so it can harden a person and it can make them, you know, just bitter and angry. And so if you could share how, how did you overcome that? And how did you use this experience to make you a better person? I I think a couple ways. I, I mean, you know, when I first was diagnosed, I think I went through all the stages that we would associate with grief you know, first it was denial. I can't possibly have cancer. I've done everything right in my life. You know, I've exercised, I've eaten right, et cetera. And then you get mad because you did do everything right in your life. And, and, you, and you're mad that you, know, you, you got this disease. And, and then our daughter was in high school when I was diagnosed. And so it was a sort of bargaining with God kind of thing. It's like, look, just let me live long enough to see her graduate from high school. And then I, in all honesty, I got down a little bit, started feeling sorry for myself. But then I just got to a point where, you know, for lack of a better word, this sucks, but I'm going to have to embrace the suck. You know, I'm going to have to take these cards that I've been dealt that I absolutely do not like. 
and I'm going to have to play them to the best of my ability. And I think I've done that through, I mean, I think cancer certainly taught me to appreciate things that I I may have overlooked before in my life. You know, I, I was always very close with my family, but, you know, I, maybe I neglected my wife or my, or my daughter, in, you know, to do something else. Now, now I don't do that. You know, I mean, I spend time with them. It's very important for me to do that. And the other thing that I've kind of come to understand are what I call my four truths. And, and these are just four things that I, I think are, I call them the bedrock of my soul. They're just a good place, I think, to build a quality life off of. And I'll, and I'll give them to you. They're one sentence each. I have them right here on a post-it note that I see multiple times during the day. So they get reinforced Reinforced. in my mind. The first one is this, you need to control your mind or your mind is going to control you. Oh yes. The second one is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more resilient individual. The third one is, I guess I look at it more as kind of a legacy type of truth. And it's Mm -hmm. this, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth one, I think is pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. So I I use those four truths and and I have a very strong faith life as well. In addition to my faith to, to decide, you know, am I going to take certain therapies? Am I going to get involved in certain projects and things like that? Like I said, I think they're just a good place to start to build a quality life off of. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. I, I, literally got chills when you mentioned the last two. I mean, the first two that you mentioned are certainly something that, you know, I believe in my practice and I've had sort of that perspective in life, but the last two that you mentioned, it literally just like sent chills down my, my, my body because it's so, I think that's what it's all about. Each and every one of us want to make sure that we leave a legacy or an impact that we can be remembered for something positive and something great that we can be remembered for. And I think that, you know, having that in front of you every day as a reminder is only going to keep you positive, focused, and going to be a major driver, a motivator for you to, or for an individual to sort of get out of their situation and keep pushing forward and keep focusing on whatever that goal or that task is that they have sort of finish line and um, having that reminder of what we're doing in terms of wanting to create a legacy is so important, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I do too. And, And it's, you know, and I guess I don't want your listeners to think that that I don't have bad days. I mean, you know, there you're, you're looking at me right now. There's no S on my chest. I don't have a cape and fly around with magical powers. You know, I mean, I do. I, I'm still being treated for the tumors in my lungs. You know, I I get down. I feel sorry for myself. I, you know, I cry from time to time and things like that. I absolutely get into those dark and ugly places, but I just don't let myself stay there. You know, and I really believe it is a choice, you know, up or down is your choice, you know, how you want to approach this day, you know, today stinks. Yeah, you can have that attitude. Absolutely, you can. And if I had that attitude, absolutely, I have. But Mm -hmm. I I, I always think back about, there there was a story that I read about uh, a professor at Johns Hopkins University back in the 1950s, who did an experiment with rats. He took rats and he put them in a tank of water that was over their head. 
And he wanted to see how long the average rat could tread water before it would sink and drown. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And just as those rats were getting ready to sink, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off, and let them rest for a while. And then he took those exact same rats, put them in that exact same tank of water a second time. And on average, those rats treaded water for 60 hours. So, I mean, think about that. 15 minutes, you're just not going to fail. You know, you start a business, your business goes on. You're going to you're gonna die. It's, I mean, life is over for you. And the second time around, 60 hours, which said to me two things. Number one, the importance of hope in our lives, having to believe that maybe not today, maybe not next week, maybe not even this year, but at some point in time, life will get better for us. And the second thing it taught me was just how much more our physical bodies can handle. You know, we give up, we quit, we, we say we're done long before our bodies are. And I think that goes back to controlling your mind. You know, if you can control your mind during pain and, and those dark times, then you can control your body. If you can't control your mind, it's incredibly difficult to control your body. Right, right. And your emotions and then all the stress and everything else that comes with it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned that, you know, you've had, you you continue to have sort of your moments where, you know, there might be sort of down moments and moments where you're you're feeling more positive and more uplifted. What do you do when you're in those sort of lower um, states or lower uh, energy um, sort of places in your life, what are you doing that helps you to either change your state or to help you move past it and let and, and release it? I, I think part of it is sort of, I guess I need to go back a little bit. When I was, I started playing basketball when I was nine years old and, and I played all the way up until I was 21 when I graduated from college. And I think what team sports, and for me, it was sports. I think it can be whatever team you're involved in, you know, your family, your colleagues, your church, whatever, whatever that ends up being. I think one of the things that team sports taught me was the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. You know, you realize that on a team that if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, your parents down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. And, and so, you know, whenever I, I find myself in those dark places, if you think about it, I'm looking, I'm looking inside. You know, it's like, oh, poor Terry. Oh, woe is me. You know, today's a bad day. And I find that a very simple way to get out of that is to go find somebody else to help. You know, to go find somebody else to, when I go for my treatments and I, and I go for a week, every three weeks for, for treatments for the tumors in my lung, there's always somebody I can, you know, hey, how's it going? Or do you want to have a cup of coffee or, or, or whatever, whether it's a family member or another patient. And now all of a sudden, instead of focusing on me and how I feel and how lousy I feel, now I'm focusing on somebody else and trying to make their life, their day a little bit better. So for me, that's that's huge. You know, I whenever I get in this, no, I got to go. And sometimes it's just picking up the phone and calling somebody, you know, a friend of mine that I know is having a tough. Hey, how's it going? Let's talk for a while. Now I'm not focused on me anymore. I'm focused on somebody else. And I think that's that for me is the part of, of being being part of something that's bigger than yourself. And and even now I'm on a clinical trial drug that more than likely is not going to save my life but it might save the life of somebody five years from now, 10 years from now, whatever, based on 
the data that the doctors are gleaning from my blood tests and my scans and things like that. And again, that's that's sort of looking, you know, outside of yourself, looking down the road. And 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 again, I look at that as being part of something that's bigger than yourself as well. Yes. Yes. So yeah, I completely agree. I, and I like that analogy of like bringing it back to that that sort of team structure of a sport. I've never actually thought about how life really is like a team in in a sport where we have to come together and work together. I just never put it in that context, but um you're right. It's a good it's a good perspective for us to have when we when we can and, and I do find that it's easier when I when I'm going through challenges or when I have difficulties is that when I'm, when I know I'm doing something for someone else, it makes it easier for me to get on and get moving and get doing what I need to do rather than when I'm doing it for myself. And it's, I'm not sure why um, we feel, I guess it's, you know, based on our word or our commitment that we've committed to helping someone else out. And so we have to deliver on that or we have to honor that versus when it's just a commitment to yourself it's so much easier to break that commitment because no one's going to get upset. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to criticize you. Right. But uh, I mean, we do also have to get into a better practice of honoring our own words to ourselves and and making sure that we prioritize ourselves as well. But that is a good way to, you know, create an instant shift in the moment. If, if you're having challenges, you know, finding other ways to get yourself out of that sort of space that by engaging and interacting with members of the community that that in itself will help and will provide, you know, um, the release that you need for that moment, at least. I, I agree. And and I mean, I'm sort of confined to a wheelchair now, so it, it's not as easy for me. But another thing I think is, is just to move, you know, to get up, to, yes. to go for a walk, to, you know, what, whatever that just do some kind of physical, I'm not saying you got to go work out, but that certainly would help as well. But, you know, I, I think about my dad when my dad was sick and dying and stuff like that, how, how much he laid in bed. And, you know, those are the times when I think the demons of doubt sort of creep into mm-hmm. your mind and, and you allow yourself that if you if you engage your body, you know, I, I talked before about, you know, you need to control your mind so that your mind can control your body. But when you're feeling down, do something physical. That's something else that, again, now now the effort is is put into something that you're not thinking about how lousy you feel or how, you know, how 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 down you are or whatever. You're actually doing something. And it can be as simple as literally go take a walk around the block. It doesn't have to be I'm going to go run 10 10 miles or anything like that. So physical activity, I think, as well, kind of helps with the mind, kind of gets it going, releases all those endorphins and things like that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you, you mentioned it, like there's such a strong connection between our mental state and our physical and our physiology. And, you know, it works both ways. Um, as much as, you know, we can use the mind to help control or, or create the physiology in the body that we want, we can also actually change our state of being or change our mental state of being just simply by changing our physiology, right? And I mean, we've seen this in so many cases where, you know, if we're constantly hunched over or sort of closed off, you're naturally going to feel more low energy, more sort of, you know, heavier emotions, more of that whether it's the sadness or depression or what, however people want to like contextualize it. But the reality is that 
when we are hunched over, it feels more heavy. The minute that we, you know, stand up tall and we, you know, hold our shoulders back and we, you know, have the proper like posture that our body should have, it actually can immediately change the way you're feeling as well. It can just bring a little bit more life into the, into the person, right? So I love how you mentioned that because it does go both ways. We can use the mind to help the body, but we can also at times when we're challenged with, you know, the mind mindset and and sort of our thoughts and where we are with the mind, we can also use body to help us sort of lift that cloud from from our, our thoughts. Right. So tell me a little bit about how you sort of also navigated like the stress and all of the uncertainty because I mean you deal with so much uncertainty on a regular on a regular basis. Like what are or do you have any sort of practices or tools that help you feel like grounded or help you, you know, sort of navigate um, all of the uncertainty? Because, I mean, in particular, you're living a life where you're not, we never know when the end is near or when the end will be here. But it's different, I think, when you when you know that there's sort of something there that is going to maybe um, reduce the years or cut back on the years versus so many of us think that, oh, you know, the end is so far from now, we don't have to be worried about it. Whereas for you, it's, it's more like in your face, right? It's, it's top of mind, probably on a regular basis with discussions you're having with your doctors and all that stuff. So how do you navigate that and not allow it to sort of always, you know, hold you back? Yeah, my dad used to talk about, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, that's kind of what he was, he was always worried about that. I, I, I think one of the, and this is probably going to sound really weird, but one of the best things I did was I planned my funeral. You know, I, when I found out I had my, when I was going to have my leg amputated and, and I had these tumors in my lungs, I went with my wife to the mortuary, to the cemetery and to the church, and I planned my funeral. And because I, you know, this is kind of a funny Find way this happened. This happened, but because I go on podcasts or, or I speak in person and talk about motivation and the need to keep moving forward, I actually got some brushback from people when they found out that that I hadn't planned my funeral. And, and I I had to tell these people, you know, well, the last time I checked, we're all going to die. As far as I know, nobody's working on a cure for life right now. You know, every one of us is going to die, but not every one of us is really going to live. And right. I, I remember hearing a black, uh, a Native American Blackfoot proverb years ago that I absolutely love. And it was, when you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not looking to hasten my demise in any way, shape, or form. But death is not nearly as scary for me because I believe I live the purposes for which I was put on this earth to do. So, you know, when it when it comes to that, you know, it's like I plan my funeral. Okay, that's fine. The other thing that really I think helps me get through this is what I call my three Fs, which are faith, family, and friends. And, you know, I, I mentioned I have a very strong faith. When I was on interferon for those five years, I I was so sick of being sick that I literally prayed to die. I, I was I, I was not contemplating suicide or anything like that, but I literally, you know, I, I kind of felt there was a difference between living and not dying. 
And I was in the not dying part. I really wasn't contributing. I didn't feel I was contributing. I was just trying to literally survive day to day. And and sometimes survival, sometimes winning the day was literally getting out of bed and making it to the couch. And I know that doesn't sound like much, but when you're when you're that, I mean, we've all had the flu. I mean, imagine having the flu all the time and you you just feel lousy. And I remember saying to God, like, look, this isn't living. Take me out of this. Get me out of here. And he obviously didn't. But I think what he did was give me the strength to continue to go on, to continue to move forward. And I remember after I had my, it was probably about eight months after I had my leg amputated and I found out these tumors in my lungs, my doctor showed me my CAT scan. And, and I have no medical background. I don't know how to read a CAT scan or anything like that. But I mean, I think I'm smart enough to be like, well, gee, that doesn't look like it's supposed to be there, you know, kind of thing. I, I had these big tumors in my lungs. I had fluid all around the pleural spaces of my my lungs. And I, I remember looking at my doctor and was like, how was I alive? And he kind of he kind of got this funny smirk on his face. And he's like, I don't know, because you shouldn't have been, which, which said to me that, I guess God's not done with me yet. You know, when I die, where I die, how I die, way above my pay grade. Don't spend a lot of time worrying about that. So faith is very important to me. And then my family is incredibly important. I remember when I had my my leg amputated and, and I had the tumors in my lungs, my, my doctor wanted to start me on chemotherapy. And I was eight years into this cancer fight. And I, I looked at him, I said, is it going to save my life? He said, yeah, probably not, but it might buy you some more time. I said, well, if the outcome is going to be the same, I'm not sure I want to go down that path and, and be sick and have all, all the things that are associated with chemo, but I'll go home and talk to my family. And it really did happen this way. And so it's my just my wife and daughter and I, and I start talking about my, my daughter's like, all right, we need a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. It's not like we got a board here or something like that. You know, so we, we end up sitting around the kitchen table and individually talking about how we feel about me having chemotherapy. And then my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? And my wife and daughter raised their hand. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I getting outvoted for something that I don't want to do? But I remember back when I was in the police academy, our defensive tactics instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people we love the most to class. And as we were learning different techniques to defend ourselves, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. So I ended up taking chemotherapy, not because I wanted to, but because my wife and daughter wanted me to. And I love them more than I love myself. And in hindsight, it was the right thing to do. It was the bridge that got me to the clinical trial drug I've been on for two and a half years now. And then finally, the last step is, is friends. And, you know, it, it, it th- that was really kind of an eye opener for me because the people that I thought would be there for me when I was going through this, some of them were, but more than not, a lot of them weren't. It was like, I can't deal with you. You know, you, like you said, you might die. You, you know, this, I might not see you anymore. I can't deal with this. And then people who I thought would never be there for me have sort of stepped up and, you know, are, are there. And, you know, it's, I, I always talk about the people I want in the foxhole with me, you know, when, when the battle starts and, and some of these people I never thought I wanted in a foxhole with me. And some of them now are like, Man, I, if it ever happens, if it ever kicks off, I want you with me. So faith, family, and friends are are incredibly helpful to me and kind of push me to keep going. 
That's so beautiful. I love that. And I couldn't agree more that I think it is through the adversities in our life that we really know and see who um, is really like on our side, who are our cheerleaders, who are the people that really have our backs. It's always through the adversity and it's always through those challenges that we can, you know, step a step back and take a look and see who are the people that are still remaining. And those people end up becoming the core um, people in our life that we end up, you know, spending and investing so much of our time and energy and our love because they are the ones that matter. Right. And like you said, you also had people that um, you never expected to sort of um, have your back or be in your corner, but maybe I'm a believer that we, everyone comes into our life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And I think maybe in those instances, those people were in your life. Yes, but they, the purpose of them being in your life hadn't fully been activated until this experience. And then it was time for their role to become to or for them to play a bigger role in your life. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, unfortunately some people are challenged in that they don't always necessarily have family or friends or even a faith base um, to help them navigate some of these things. And I think, you know, if, if at, at the very least, if, you know, you don't necessarily have a strong circle of friends or a family, family around that the, at the very least we can always turn to faith to, to help us navigate these circumstances. We can, I, I, I remember reading recently and, and I felt really sad when I read this, that most people, most human beings do not have even one person in their life that they can be radically honest with. Mm-hmm. And and think how think how horrible that is. I mean, we're we're a species that's designed to, you know, we, we don't do good living on our own. I mean, we need to no. be together. We need to, yes. you know, and yet most of us don't have one person that we can be radically honest with, with that we can just kind of bear our souls to. And, mm-hmm. and that made me feel kind of sad, you know. And, and I, you know, I thought about it. I am lucky that I have those people in my life, you know, that I can say it's not a good day. I'm, I'm having you know, uh, it's tough. I don't need to put on the facade. I don't need to put, you know, the armor on and say, no, I'm good. Everything's great. No, I'm, I'm not having a good day today. You know, and I can, I have those people around me that, you know, or I can say, I'm having a great day today, you know, and if you're not, let me, let me lift you up today. And, and that, right. so I, find those people, find those people, if you can, in your life that you can be radically honest with and, and see where that relationship goes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's just, opening ourselves up to new communities or new groups or, um, and I mean, as we get older, it becomes more and more challenging to form deeper relationships, but because we're, we're not exposed to people in that way anymore. Right. But I think if we make a conscious effort to go out into the world and find communities or find groups, then I think it's, it's a matter of time before we find people that will actually resonate with us or that are sort of on the same page. And from there can start, we can start to build, you know, those deeper, more meaningful relationships. We can. And, and I think it's important to let people know that, you know, relationships move at the speed of vulnerability, you know, and are you oh, yeah. willing, are you willing to put yourself out there? Are you willing to open yourself up, you know, understanding you might get hurt? 
you know, this person may say, yeah, no, I don't want anything to do with you. But that vulnerability piece, you know, you're never going to have a relationship unless you're willing, you know, to kind of take the first step or, or make the first move and things like that. Whether it's, you know, you're, you're trying to have a relationship or whether you're just, I want a group of friends and, you know, people, I, you know, that we can hang out with and, and watch a ball game or go bowl, or whatever it is, play cards, whatever you want to do. God, I'm starting to sound like my mother now and, 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 you know, and stuff like that. But, but no, those are things that, you know, were enjoyable things that you want to just spend some time with, with those people and that, but again, somebody has got to be vulnerable. Somebody has got to be willing to take that first risk and kind of put themselves out there and see what happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. How would, um, what would you say is the biggest shift or sort of transformation that you've seen in yourself? Um, as a result of this experience that you've been going through? That's a great question. I, I, I guess I would answer it with, with this story. I, I had a, and a nurse rather recently asked me, I, I told you all I got is nurse story. So, so hang with me here. Um, I, I had a nurse ask me what it was like to have my, you know, my foot amputated and then have my leg amputated. And I told her it certainly has not been easy. You know, when you're six foot eight, falling is not an option when you're learning learning to walk again and stuff like that. But what I told her was, you know, cancer can take all my physical faculties. You can cut off whatever you want to cut off from me, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And, And I was certainly a person that, you know, I mean, I was six foot eight, I was 240. I mean, I was a college athlete. I was a, you know, SWAT team person and all that stuff. So my physical body, I spent a lot of time, you know, eating right, exercising, doing that. And I don't think I nearly spent as much time as I should have developing my heart, developing my mind, developing my soul. And, you know, this body eventually is going to go away. You know, it's, it, it's, I'm going to die. And, and that, but the heart, the mind, the soul, those things, I know this might sound corny. Those things are are eternal. Those things live Mm -hmm. on. Those things, Mm -hmm. you know, keep going. And so we spend a great deal of time working on this when all this is, is a a house or a vessel to hold who we really are. So I'm not telling you not to work out. I'm not telling you not to eat right and get sleep and all that stuff. But when I, I guess what I found and what I think is important now is to spend a little more time each day working on my heart, my mind, and my soul. So that's been kind of a, a just a, a different shift in my life based on my disease and, and my, my physical attributes right now. Right, right. And what are some of the things you do to cultivate sort of that relationship with the mind, the heart, and the soul? I, I, I do a lot of things. One, one is I pray. I, I pray every day for about an hour. Um, I, I'd be lying to you if I told you I didn't pray for myself. I absolutely do. You know, I, I'm looking for the miracle. Absolutely. But I've met so many people along this, this journey that, you know, asked me to pray for them and, and things like that. So prayer is another thing, uh, is one thing that I use. Another thing that I use is humor. I, 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 when, I when I go for my infusion therapy, um, I, I constantly have dad jokes for the nurses. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> this is a, I mean, they they spend their entire day infusing, you know, chemotherapy, trial drugs, blood into cancer patients. I mean, God love them for doing that because I don't know if I could do that every day. And so let's try to have some fun here. Let's, let's make a joke and, and, and things like that. I remember when I had my foot amputated, I was, I guess hobble is the best word. I was sort of hobbling out of the, of the hospital in a, 
in a boot that accentuated the fact that I did not have a foot. And there was a woman down at the exit and, and she was staring incredibly hard, you know, and I'm looking around like, is, is she look, and there was nobody else around. So I'm like, okay, she must be staring at me. And when I got up to her, I turned, I looked her right in the eye and I said, don't worry, it'll grow back. And I just kept walking and I looked over my shoulder and she had this look on her face like, will it? Will it? You think maybe, I mean, what is this guy, like a salamander or something like that? You cut off their tail, they, it grows. So, you know, I mean, I, I didn't mean to be disrespectful, but but no. at the same time, I just, I got to have fun with this at, at some point in time. I've got to make fun of myself and, and joke about the fact that I, you know, I can't do jumping jacks or I, I list the port from time to time and things like, you know, so just, this is who you are. This is who I am. Make fun of it. Have fun. If you can't laugh at yourself. I mean, my God, life is serious enough. I deal with enough serious stuff every day. So I would say two big things are to pray and absolutely to laugh, to find humor in your life. Yes. And I think, you know, when, when we find the humor in those things, it, it comes from a place of acceptance, right? You've, you've acknowledged and accepted that this is the situation at hand. And now you're basically taking the best attitude you can with the situation and moving forward, right? Exactly. Um, what would you say were was one of the most rewarding parts of this experience? Again, I'm going to tell you another nurse story. Here we go. All right. That's all the guy's got. He's got nurse stories. But <laughs> th this absolutely happened. I, I met this nurse. Um, she was about 25 years old, already a nurse, but she was in training on the infusion unit where I get my treatments. And about eight months later, she was taking care of me by herself. And she came in and she said, Terry, I've got a story I want to tell you, but I'm a little uncomfortable telling it to you. And I didn't really know how to respond to that. It's like, well, it sounds like I might enjoy the story. I hope you get around to telling it to me. So she's in and out for another couple hours and finally comes in, sits down on the bed. And she's like, all right, here's the story. She said, when I first met you, I was going to get out of nursing. She said, I had a good friend of mine die. I was in a really dark place. I talked to my mom and dad. I was going to quit nursing and I was going to go to work for Amazon. And she said, and then I met you and I watched what you go through, how you, you shake violently, all your reactions, you throw up, you have a headache, fear, all that kind of stuff for your treatment. And yet you keep coming back for this treatment. You keep coming here you know, to be treated. And then I went back in your file and I read about everything that you've been through. And she said, when I finished reading, she said, I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Now, if she would have never told me that story, I would have absolutely no idea that my life had had a positive impact on her in any way whatsoever. And I, I think a lot of times we get to a point in our lives where we think that, you know, we're, you know, we're down, we're, we're you know, we're, we're beaten up, we, we can't keep going. And that's what we think. And we don't realize that people are looking at us and, and are just amazed at the unbounded courage that we show every day just by showing up. And so, you know, I always tell people there, you never know who would, you know, I don't care how bad your circumstances are. I don't care how lousy things are going for you. You never know who's looking at you that you have no idea who they are and saying, gee, I give everything I have just to walk five minutes in that person's shoes. And when I was growing up, there was a basketball player Oh, wait a minute, I've got another story. It's about basketball, not about nurses. So this is good. <laughs> I, there's, there was a basketball coach at UCLA by the name of John Wooden. And Wooden had a quote that went like this. 
a careful person I want to be, a little person follows me. I dare not go astray for fear they may go the same way. Now, I'm not telling you to live a life that's not true to you. You absolutely need to do that. But understand that there are people watching you. There are people looking at you that you have no idea who those people are. And they are th- they're looking at you and looking at how much courage that you are putting forth to show up every day to do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So true. We never, we don't really realize how we're impacting other people's lives because we're, we're too busy looking at it from our perspective rather than how other people see us. Um, thank you for sharing that. I, I recently had a similar experience where someone told me, you know, I, we all have our challenges as you sure. know, and um, you know, I was sort of in the midst of one of my challenges and, and without even um, sort of soliciting this information or this piece of advice that came my way, someone just kind of started telling me about how they feel or how I make them feel and how all of these wonderful, positive things. And I, it in that moment, I was in such a bad place that it made me take a step back and think, wow, okay. <laughs> so how I feel about myself is not how other people see me. And so it's important to be our authentic selves and, 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 you know, do the best that we can to show up um, in the best way, because as you said, someone else is watching, someone else is looking and someone else is maybe, um, you know, looking in and peeking in uh, into our lives to find the inspiration or the motivation or the impact that they need for themselves. Right. And as you demonstrated in that story with the nurse, you know, she was in a challenging time. She didn't know what to do with her life, but just being a part of your existence has reminded her of her purpose and her mission and what she's here to do. Right. And so that's, that's beautiful. And I think, again, we all come here for a reason, for a purpose. We meet the people we meet specifically for a reason that we either need to grow from them or they need to grow from us. And you're, you know, you're a a testament of exactly that just through your experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Were there any sort of um, unexpected surprises or lessons that you learned along the way that maybe you didn't, you didn't think would have sort of come to you as a result of this experience? I, I remember um, my wife has a, a young man that she works with, and and this individual uh, in a previous life was was a Navy SEAL, some of the toughest men in the world. And he is he is very kind to me. He calls me on my off weeks of treatment just to check up on me and and see how I'm doing. And he he kind of told me about what the SEALs call their forty percent rule. And, and I never thought about it this way, but what he says is, again, some of the toughest people in the world that, you know, when they're at the end of their rope, when they can't go on, when they feel they're just totally defeated, they talk about their 40% rule, which basically says when you get into that 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 time where, where you think you're done, that you're only at 40% of your maximum and you still have another 60% left in reserve to give to yourself. So like I said, when I get into those, this is another, I guess, thing that I've learned. When I get into those dark places, those ugly places, those down places, I just remember that story that he told me, you know, that you've got, 
you know, 40%, yeah, you're, you're done. But you know what? You've got 60% left in reserve. Use that 60% to get you out of that thing. And, and I really do believe it goes to, it goes back to just how much more our physical bodies can handle. You know, we, we think I, I am in so much pain. I can't deal with this. I can't, I can't keep going on, but, but you can. You, you, you can find a way you can. And, and I think part of it has to do with you need to you need to harness your mind right away. When that physical pain starts, if you can't control your mind at that point, then your mind is going to control you and, and you're going to be you're going to be way down. You're going to be ugly. You're going to be, you know, uh, I, I feel bad. And all that. But if you can use that moment to harness your mind and say, uh uh-uh, uh. You're not ruling me. I'm I'm in charge. I'm the one that's gonna, you know, figure out where this goes. I'm gonna be able to handle this and take that. Then you can handle so much more than you ever thought. I, I I've seen so many people in my life that you know started down a path, whatever it was, you know, maybe they were starting a business or whatever, and and something gets in their way. They get, you know, they get blocked by an impediment and they can't get over it or around it or through it. And they just sit down and quit. But we don't just quit. We got to blame somebody. You know, we've got to blame our mom and dad or our boss or our station in life. Very few people take personal responsibility for their own success and happiness. Be one of those people. Be one of those people that takes responsibility. I mean, one of the other things I've learned, nobody's coming to my rescue. You know, nobody's going to be like, you know, Terry, here I am. I'm you know, on the white horse. I'm going to save you. Nobody's saving me. You know, I mean, I've got people, I've got a great support system, but you know what? This comes down to me. This comes down to, do you want to continue this? Totally my decision. Or do you want this to be the end? And 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 I'm not, I've never quit anything in my life. And I know what I'm capable of. And I don't think I'm anywhere near the end of what my physical body is capable of. I love that. I love that. Such an important reminder. We have to master the mind. The mind... If we don't master the mind, as you said earlier, it will master you and then it's all over from there. Yeah. Um, would you have done anything differently in you know, your life in the last few years? Is there anything that you would go sort of go back to and do differently? I don't, I don't think so. I, I mean, you know, I, a couple summers ago, I had all 88 genes that doctors either know of or suspect cause all different forms of cancer tested. And I have no mutations in any of my genes, which sort of begs the, the question, how did I get this or why did I get this form of cancer? And that's, you know, you, you always want to know, is there something I could have, you know, you know, if I was a smoker, I got lung. Okay. You, you know, probably why you got cancer and things like that. I think it's just, human nature to want to know why things happen to us. Nobody's ever been able to tell me why I got cancer. Nobody's ever been able to tell me why I got this rare form of cancer. It's not hereditary. It's not something that I got from my parents. It's just one of those things that I got. And and maybe it was God's way of saying, hey, I, didn't, I don't like the, the, way, the way you're going. I, I want you to move in another direction. And so I'm going to give you this disease. And you know, there, there are times that I felt that, you know, where are you, God? I need you. I'm hurting, you know, and stuff like that. And, and I had a I had a woman say to me, you know, well, maybe maybe it's kind of like, and I'm, I don't really feel comfortable comparing myself to gold, but, you know, how, how do we 
you know, how do we make gold more pure? We heat it up. We put it under stress. You know, we, maybe that's what God's doing to you. Maybe he's, he wants you to do something and he's heating it up and he's stressing you and, and he's putting you through this with the understanding that there's something bigger. There's something down the road that that's going to happen to you. I, I don't know if that's the case or not, but I, you know, I've always wanted to know, but like I said, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about it now. Nobody can tell me why I got it. I, I've got it. And the bottom line is I've got to do the best I can to live with it. And I think the, the important word there is live. Live is live the best I can with whatever time I have left. Right. And what what pos- how can you turn this into a positive thing in your life? Right. Which I think is what you're doing. You're you're changing your perspective. You you're making things light in like the situation light in your in or as you're moving through the situation, you're you're finding a way to stay light in it rather than to, you know, keep yourself in the in the darkness of your situation. But by doing that, you are inspiring others. By doing that, you are um demonstrating to others that it it's possible to go through challenges and still be happy and still find joy in your life. Um, and I I couldn't agree more with the individual who is sort of comparing you to gold and saying that I I do think that a lot of the adversities that human beings face is in order for us to become something more magnificent, something better, and, and to really take that experience and help and support others along the way. And I think we can only do that once we've gone through it ourselves. Right. And so I think, you know, there is something to that in, in, in that you're obviously going through this experience for a reason. Um, how has this sort of like changed your, like what you do and and sort of what you focus on? I know you mentioned you were an author and you, you started, you wrote your book, was it in 2020 you mentioned? Yes. Yeah. I- and, and I'm, I'm assuming sort of the experience is what led to writing the book. Actually, the, the book was kind of born out of, of two stories that or two conversations that I had. One was with a former player that I had coached in high school who had moved to Colorado, where my wife and I live with her fiance. And the four of us had dinner one night. And I remember saying to her after dinner, you know, I'm really excited that you're living close now and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have absolutely no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth, using your unique gifts and talents and living that reason. That was the first conversation. And then the second one was with a young man in college who'd reached out to me on social media. And he asked me what I thought were the most important things that he should learn, not to just be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful in life. And I didn't want to give them that, you know, get up early, work hard, help. Not that those aren't important. Those are incredibly important. And I wanted to see if maybe I could go deeper with him. So I spent some time and I wrote some notes and eventually kind of had these 10 thoughts, these 10 ideas, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I stepped back and I was like, well, I got a life story that fits underneath that principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates this principle. So literally during the three to four month period that I was healing after I had my leg amputated, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and they're real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. 
And that's how Sustainable Excellence, the 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life came about. So it was, you know, it was not something that, you know, I've, I've never written a book before, but, you know, there's sort of that old joke that says when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. So God <laughs> has never, never talked to me. But I think what what people were saying was, you know, you should write a book. You should write a book. You should, and, and I think when enough people say that, I think that's maybe God's way of saying, hey, mm-hmm. dummy, I'm telling you to write a book. R- write mm-hmm. the stupid book. Will you play? You know, and, and literally people kept saying it and I kept putting it off. But, you know, I had that time after I had my leg amputated that was like, well, I could sit around and watch television all day or I could try to write this book. And uh, that's how Sustainable Excellence came to be. Amazing. And where can we find uh, Sustainable Excellence? What, excellence. Excellence. Where can we find uh, Yeah, pretty much anywhere you get up. You can get your books online, your Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, Apple iBooks, anywhere you can get a book online, you can get Sustainable Excellence. And where can people find you if if they wanted to connect with you or reach out to you? Uh, I have a blog. It's called motivationalcheck.com. Every day I put up a, a thought for the day. And with that thought, usually comes a question about maybe how you could apply the thought in your life. Uh, on Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message. I have book recommendations to read, videos to watch. My social media links are there and you can leave me a message and that's all at motivationalcheck.com. Perfect. And I'll make sure to add that to the notes so that it, it's easier for everyone to uh, to find that. Um, thank you so much. I mean, you've shared so many uh, incredible insights um, and I really do appreciate it. Um, I just have one final question for you. Um, any final thoughts or tips uh, for the listeners that can maybe help them bring a little bit more balance or harmony into their mental, emotional, or spiritual well-being? Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you another story. And it's not a nurse story, so this is even better. Um, so when I was at the Citadel, when I was at college, it, it, it was it's a military college. And one year we had a president by the name of James Bond Stockdale. And Admiral Stockdale was had been an admiral in the Navy, but he was shot down over Vietnam during the Vietnam conflict in the 1960s. And he spent almost eight years as a prisoner of war in the infamous Hanoi Hilton in Hanoi and was routinely beaten and tortured and deprived of medical care and things like that. And he was the president of the school. I was a cadet. So my interaction with him was pretty slim. But I remember being at an event with him one time and somebody asked him, you know, what separated the people who survived that from the people who didn't? And he said, well, let me tell you who didn't survive that circumstance. He said it, it was the, you know, the big, tall, strong, tough guy that thought they could handle any kind of amount, any kind of a uh, abuse or torture. He said those people didn't survive. And the next thing he said kind of threw me for a minute. He said the other people that didn't survive were the optimists. You know, these were the people that thought, you know, by Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter, they will be released or they'll be freed or rescued. And when Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter would come and go and they weren't released, those people died of a broken heart. He said the people that survived 
were the people that figured out what they could control, which according to him was basically our thoughts and our breathing. Everything else was at the discretion of the enemy and controlled it. So I think, you know, to leave you with that, to understand what you can control, you know, I mean, none of us are in a prisoner war camp, none of us are incarcerated, but understand the things that you can control in your life and control them. And the rest of the stuff, just let it go. You don't have, if you don't have any control over it, there's no use spending a lot of time and energy and anxiety and worry, worrying about those things. Figure out what you can control and control that. And I promise you'll, you'll have a much better life. Oh, yes. Couldn't agree more. And yes, even though we're not incarcerated or in prison or anything like that, so many people are prisoners of their own mind just based on how their thought what their thought patterns are like, right? And so I think even just when we're not physically in prison, sometimes we can be imprisoned in our mind and we need to just start there is changing the mind, changing the perspective. And then from there, everything else can start to change. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Terry. I really do appreciate you being here with me today and just being you know, vulnerable and sharing your story and really your lessons. Cause I think that's where everyone can sort of grow from is, is taking your experience and, um, and what you've shared with us today and finding ways to apply that into their own life and to their own circumstances to keep pushing forward. Because I mean, as you've shown us, there are people who are dealing with, um, much more sort of, um, difficult challenges and yet can still find ways to to find joy and the happiness in their life so if it's possible for someone like you then it's possible for any one of us i totally agree because i'm the world's biggest wimp so if i can handle it (laughs) if i can do this i promise you anybody else can do that thank you for having me on i really enjoyed talking with you thank you again terry you're welcome Thank you for joining me on yet again, another amazing episode of Awaken with Carla. I hope that you found Terry's story and uh, our conversation insightful and full of value. Um, As I typically do before we wrap up this episode, I just wanted to take a moment to share with you some of the things that I personally learned from Terry. First and foremost, uh, we don't really know ourselves until we actually get tested with some sort of adversity in our life. And typically this adversity pushes us to um, have to face and deal with some of the um, shadow aspects of ourself. Um, Typically the adversity is, you know, brought about with challenges and a whole set of emotions that we need to uh, learn how to navigate and process. And the more of these adversities that we go through, the deeper we actually take um, our knowledge and our connection of ourselves with ourselves. And so um, as much as it may be difficult to uh, navigate some of these experiences, remember that each um, adversity or challenge that you face is an opportunity to uh, get to know yourself uh, on a deeper level and get to learn and evolve and grow. And ultimately, on a spiritual level, I think that's what we're here to do is uh, learn from the experiences and the challenges that we have. And uh, ultimately, you know, go out into the world and 
um, either share our knowledge of what we've learned or share the gifts that we've tapped into as a result of the, that adversity. Uh, there are, I loved how Terry shared his four truths of um, what, you know, can lead to having a better quality of life. First being, you need to control your mind or your mind will control you. And that's something that I, you know, have been working on um, very actively over the last few years is learning to master the mind. Second, we need to embrace the pain and difficulty that we experience, as, as we talked about already. And we need to find ways to use that pain and that difficulty that we experience in life to actually make us stronger and much more resilient. Um, taking that pain and that adversity and turning it into um, a win or a success story for, um, for us. The third being that, uh, and this is as Terry mentioned more of a legacy principle, but the fourth being that whatever we leave behind is what we weave in the hearts of people. And that I think is one of the things that I, uh, one of my favorite, and it really uh, touched near and dear in my heart, because I think that's ultimately what, um, what motivates us humans in, in finding our passion and our purpose is in in the imprint and the impact and the ripple effect that we have on the lives of others, whether it be, you know, the closest people to us or family or friends, or whether it be complete strangers that, you know, we need to um, sort of interact with and um, cross paths with so that, you know, we can support each other on our own individual growth, um, our own individual learning journey. And then the last principle that he shared was that as long as you don't quit, you will never be defeated. And that I think is very important when it comes to, you know, holding on to that resilience, especially in the moments when uh, we are ready to give up and uh, we're being challenged uh, with the, you know, uh, the adversity that we're being faced with. And so remember that so long as you don't quit, then there's um, no defeat that you uh, are not losing in the situation. So keep pushing forward, keep looking at uh, new perspectives and new ways of looking at the situation so that you can improve and grow and evolve and continue to push forward with whatever it is that you're seeking to, um, to achieve in your life. The last thing that I loved learning in this conversation, and actually I've now talked about it so many times since since then, is this fact that um, how he shared with me that in the Navy SEAL, they have the 40% rule. Um, and that 40% means that when we're starting to feel defeated, when we're feeling like we're ready to give up and we want to just, you know, stop whatever it is that we're doing, that we've actually only reached 40% of our capacity. So when we get to that place, when mentally we start thinking about giving up, we need to remind ourselves that we're actually really only at 40%. And that in essence, we have another 60%, which is more than half um, of our sort of capacity that we can push through to help us achieve whatever that goal is that we've set out for ourselves. And so I think, as I said, this is probably one of my favorite things that I walked away with is knowing that at that moment, when I feel like 
I'm ready to give up and I have nothing else left in me that I'm sort of running on empty um, that I can actually push myself another 60%. This has actually been quite helpful for me, especially when it comes to doing physical activity uh, in my exercise classes. It's in those moments when, you know, my body's tired, I, it's getting close to the end of class, I feel exhausted, and I'm just ready to give up. And I keep this running in the back of my mind that I still have 60% left to go and left to give to whatever it is that I'm doing. So I hope you can take that away and apply that into your own life so that when you are faced with your own challenges and your own adversity, that you keep this in perspective. You still have 60% left in you to keep pushing forward, to move past that adversity, move past those challenges you have in your life and, and get to the other side where you find happiness, joy, um, peace of mind, and just sort of, you know, groundedness in your life. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I know I certainly uh, enjoyed uh, hearing about Terry and his story um, and, you know, just learning so much from him. And I just wanted to remind you that when you're on this journey, that, uh, you know, healing, self-discovery, spirituality is a lifelong pursuit. And that I encourage you to keep exploring, keep learning and finding different and unique ways for you to grow along the way. If you have any questions, um, be sure to reach out, send me an email, uh, hit me up with a message on social media, um, share your own insights and maybe your own experience. I'd love to hear from you. And just remember that you're not alone on this journey and that uh, we're here to support you every, every step of the way. We're building a community for that reason. Now, before I wrap up, I just wanted to thank Terry for sharing his story with us and for being honest uh, about his experience and um, really just, you know, uh, imparting some beautiful wisdom on us in this community. Uh, lastly, I wanted to thank you, uh, the listeners, for being a part of the community. Um, I certainly couldn't do this without you. And so your feedback and your support means the world to me. And just remember that we're creating this uh, community together where we're learning, we're growing together, and we're taking an opportunity to transform our lives. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, make sure to share this with your family or friends and be sure to hit that like button. As you know that, uh, you know, all of these little things can certainly help along the way when it comes to the algorithms. And Again, you know that your support means the world to me. And without it, I would not be able to uh, get my message out there and support other individuals um, in their learning, in their own personal journey and, um, you know, helping them tap to tap into their inner wisdom. Remember, the power to live your best life lies within you. You have everything you need to manifest your dreams and create a life that is filled with meaning and purpose. Until next time, keep embracing your journey of self-discovery, nurturing your well-being, and awakening the extraordinary that lies within you. Stay tuned for more empowering episodes of Awaken with Carla. May you find peace, love, and light on your path. Bye.